0: Hey everybody, it's SPO Perspectives, and I'm Jack Mitchell, and I'm Jen Bricado, and we're here to bring you another what I call action-packed podcast. As I come out and, and talk about, you know, we're, we're both going to talk about really what this episode will be, I kind of want to just give an overview or a, an outlay of what we've been doing in this new season and how we're really bringing a focus on different levels. So originally the podcast, was more along the lines of just having a conversation and getting a perspective, right? And we're still doing that. But now we're looking into maybe like three different segments. Um, looking at like maybe what's pertinent or a current hot topic, you know, directly related to our job. Or something like, for instance, today you'll see something that relates directly to what SBOs can be doing and very useful for you. So it could be a host of topics there. Another, another level, more lines of how the originating podcast, the macro talks, right, surrounding just the overall success to to our jobs, you know, and, and that's and that's very important for all SBOs. And then, you know, from time to time, we'll be interviewing key figures, essentially related to, to the SBO world that's involved with us.
1: So as Jack said, I mean, we dive into many different subjects. And for today's guest, we're diving into the role of an SBO in a supporting role. And today we have Liza Akinfora, who we're going to speak to about her adult and community education program. So we're really excited to get her on the podcast. She has a lot of great information to share and really how the school business official can best support this program. So here's our conversation with Liza Akinfora. Today on the podcast, we have Liza Akinfora. Liza is currently the Director of Community and Adult Education at the Kenmore Town of Tonawanda Union Free School District in Buffalo, New York, or as it's commonly referred to as Kenton. Prior to her work at Kenton, she worked for Erie 2 BOCES for six years, writing and managing workforce development grants, and assisting with various training programs. She holds her Master's in Curriculum and Instruction and a Master's in Leadership and Supervision. Liza, welcome to the podcast. We're happy to have you. Hi, guys. Welcome, Liza. Hey. So we have a, we have a few questions for you that we really wanted to dive into surrounding the programming that you offer to your community and your students, and really how that kind of correlates to being a business official and how business officials in the business office can best support your kind of programming. So that being said, you know, as I had stated, you oversee both the adult and community education programs. Can you kind of summarize for our listeners both programs and the significance to those programs in the community?
2: Absolutely. The primary focus of our general fund stream of programming is really to connect with the community and offer programs that may not be offered directly in school or in other areas of the community. So, for example, we have a number of enrichment programs for youth ages, you know, 3 to 16, 17, and then we drive into the adult education or the adult programming for the community, which is really Anything from leisure activities to recreation to hobbies to music, art, painting, languages, and really other programs that may not be offered at other other places in the community. So really the general fund, and these are all general fund budgeted programs. So these are, we we try to focus on taxpayers and focusing on what the taxpayers need and want and really just maintaining that community relationship between the people that are voting for our budgets and supporting our community with the programs and how we can support them here. So the general fund programming here is really just a more recreational and enrichment side of the program, and it's all self sustained so we charge a fee for the programs and those fees cover the cost and operations of the department and then really the meat and potatoes of my work is the federal fund side of programming and a really high up overview is that we obtain dollars from federal and state resources and provide programs to 17 and up out of school youth that are undereducated and under underemployed and socioeconomically socioeconom- challenged that really are the primary purpose is to increase education training collegiate opportunities and the end goal would really to be employment training and self-sustainable ability for their families and their their livelihood. The we have a variety of different funding streams for the federal fund side of programming. Most of them are allocated from, you know, the federal government down to the state workforce development boards and then those workforce development boards allocate funding to different programmings like Kenton School districts really like Buffalo Public Schools is one of the largest adult education programs in New York State. Kenton is small compared to that, but we do offer the same amount of services and programming that they offer as well.
1: So it's it's really interesting how you kind of categorize your programming in terms of general fund, which is your community education program, yep. and then your your federal funding, which is would be the HSE and kind of all of your adult education programming. So yep. Being that you're kind of putting those in two buckets, is the budgeting process a little bit different for each program? And can you kind of talk to that a little bit?
2: Absolutely. The general fund programming, really what we look for is we don't look to make money on these programs, right? So we just want to make sure our operational costs are pretty much even where our revenues and expenses are are equal. That's the goal of every budget year is to make sure that our revenues and expenses are appropriate. We have a very efficient operation here. So our staffing structure is small. We have a one senior clerk typist that is full-time and then a part-time clerk typist. And that's really it for the staffing side and then in regards to other costs that we have to be you know aware of is our publications and mailings for the catalogs and then really some basic materials and supplies that we have here but we have really two classifications of employees that work for us in the general funds so there's hourly employees that offer programming and they get paid an hourly rate and then there's also businesses that we partner with that are contractual partners who get paid you know a percent split of, of revenue. So as long as we're meeting our minimum and maximum enrollments for these classes, we can run them without worrying about the losing money or making sure that, you know, and making sure that our costs are covered, basically. So
1: it sounds like you're kind of running like a little business within the, the school district with your community ed program.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think for us, you know, community education, this department's been around for a very, very long time, and Kenton has a strong connection to its community. And I think our board and our leadership really also values what we can bring to the table. And don't forget, it's not costing the general fund. Like, we're not, we we try to never make an impact on the general fund and be a self-sustaining you know, organization within the district.
1: So from a business official standpoint, really when we're, you know, putting the budget together, working on a community education program such as yours, you're anticipating revenues every year, but you're trying to offset your expenses with those revenues, correct? Trying to correct. break even?
2: Yep.
1: Yeah. So I'm really interested in the funding mechanism. I'd like to kind of change gears to the adult education program, because the community education program seems pretty straightforward. You have some anticipated revenues, you kind of know what you're going to spend based on your percentages with with your contractors and your hourly employees. But it seems a little bit more complicated when you kind of go to the adult education program. So what is the funding mechanisms behind those offerings?
2: Absolutely. It, it really is. It's, I think it makes it even more fun to work with, right, is the federal fund programming. There's a lot of acronyms um, and abbreviations, right? It's <laughs> NOAA, EPI, SNAP, FTE, GED, right? So there's there's those pieces of the puzzle. I would say right now, the one that we focus on, I'll go through them all, but EPI state aid is really the primary primary funding stream that we have that we have to pay attention to with a very, very detailed eye that employment preparation education state aid money is is money that we get paid and reimbursed at an hourly rate to provide services to to those that are 21 and up without a high school diploma. So what we'll do is when we have students that are interested in our high school equivalency or ESL programming, we look at that as a mechanism for um, generating revenue. So the more they are in our seats learning, the more we will get reimbursed for the for that student. Okay. And that is that that revenue is what helps cover our cost of teachers, administrative oversight, case management, data management, and then the all, you know, the the other operational costs that we have here. So Epi is our primary state aid money that we get, and we get reimbursed by contact hours. So mm-hmm. my message to my teachers and my staff is always. You know, we need to be aware that that students that we're retaining students, right? So teachers mm-hmm. know that they have to get the students in their seats, because that's how we get paid, which covers their their, their salaries. So Epi is is we have a, a student management system that all of our information is plugged into. He's and sat- that, yeah, yeah, we use we use a system that's told to, yeah. that we have to use from the state, which is called Assist. And it's a management system, just, I'm sure, similar to Infinite Campus or any other management, student management mm-hmm. system. But it gives us the ability to track contact hours so we can look at it through trends. We can compare from year to year. And the scary part, there's there's a beauty and a curse in that, is the scary part is that if you see contact hours are plummeting from year to year, right, as, as an administrator, you have to say, shoot, what's happening here, right? Because that's yep. that's our revenue that it's not, it's not. Guaranteed every year. It's based on contact hours. So mm-hmm. the state at the beginning of the year will say, okay, Liza, you have $300,000. Is
0: that based off for last year? Not to catch up, based off of what you did last yep. year. And then, so like, yep, yep,
2: absolutely. And, absolutely. And, then,
0: and another thing, too, real quick the, is it 100% you get or a percentage of all these contact hours?
2: We get 100% of it reimbursed. That's good. Okay. Yep. Right. So, you know, So every year it's an, it's an annual thing. So we have to apply for this state aid every year. So last year, for example, we were, we applied for like only 7,000 contact hours for the year. And because of covid and the, the funding cycle and how we were funded, we actually got reimbursed for like 25,000 contact hours for the year instead of like wow. seven, which is what we were anticipating, right? So we had all of that revenue that was coming in because of the formula mm-hmm. that we allowed us to use to provide the programming that was all distance learning last year via COVID, right? But that ebb and flow could also give somebody a stroke when you see that in like normal times, if, you're, if your enrollments are down, you mm-hmm. need to start making those decisions. Either what can we do to, we don't come into this at Kenton, but I know it's a problem in other districts and is that you have to really evaluate and monitor that with a close eye mm. because if your state aid is lower than anticipated, you're not getting paid to cover yep. those teachers and that that cost, right? So in
1: those in those trends, if you've seen those in the past, what is kind of your solution? Is there a bigger outreach or how do you get more contact hours?
2: It's outreach for sure. We have a our community here in Kenton is we Right now, our referrals come from a variety of different sources, but we also, so we really haven't had to do a ton of outreach in the past because there's family, friends. I've built a ton of partnerships with other organizations that refer people to us. So we haven't had to do that a ton, but yes, it's, it's the outreach, it's retention. So working with students to make sure that our program here at Kenton is really serving them to the highest degree that they need, because don't forget when they're in the seats, and they're over 21, that's how we're getting, you know, paid for that hourly state aid money. So that's the epipod of money that we really do rely on. There's there is some pretty strict reporting that our business office here helps us out with. So number of people served, contact hours, attendance. And along with those getting that money, there are some assessment um pieces of the puzzle that we have to be aware of as well to just meet that uh, full compliance. And our business office has been extremely helpful in ensuring compliance and reporting. There are some SA-120 forms that we have to get approved by our business office and sent to the state annually as well. Mm. And then also I work with our business office on projections. So at the half of the year, we'll look at our current, what we've generated in state aid from July 1 to December thirty first, And then from there, we'll say, okay, we did this the first six months of the year. Do we need more money or less money than we originally anticipated? And then the state will shift around. So programs that aren't using all of their state aid money, they'll reallocate that money to other programming in the state.
1: And that was going to be my next question. So I (laughs) Yeah, you went over EPI in depth. So is this funding, is this competitive? So if you're not utilizing it as another district getting it, and are you then potentially jeopardizing additional revenue in the future?
2: Absolutely. EPI is competitive. There's only a certain amount of money that is allocated and budgeted for in the state. And then that is given down to the regional areas of the state education department who allocate funding. So each county gets a certain amount of money. So I'm competing with, you know, Buffalo and other programs that 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 get EPI state aid, other school districts. So I would say that if, if there isn't money that we're going to use, or if there is money we're not going to use, it does get, it gets put back into the pot and other people can, can apply for that money. I would say it's EPI is guaranteed year to year, as long as it's in the budget. I'm not so sure what that's going to look like just because of the political future and the economic future, you know, that, that's a TBD on that, but we is the other grant that we do have that is a federal, it's a workforce innovation opportunity act money that is a five-year grant cycle that we have applied for. So we currently get a small amount of money to provide services to 17 to 12. It's 17 to up or 17 over. And so that's how we provide these these educational services to our 17 to 20-year-old youth in our community is through WIOA funding. And that is, the goal of that is, right, getting their high school equivalency diploma and entering into post-secondary education training, a credential program, a job, and really working towards that planning of how to have a sustainable future.
1: So your demographic there, you said 17 to 20, so in the early stages, a non-matriculating student who isn't enrolled in, in K-12, you're, you're capturing those students that may have dropped out or have gone down a different pathway, but your programming is offering them an opportunity to get a GED, and then, as you said, to post-secondary, where EPI is kind of, like you said, you're 21 years and older, so there's different segments of, in different programs based on age.
2: Absolutely. And we do have a braided funding stream like mechanism here that I like to use is somebody can be WIOA and EPI funded at the same time, but they would never know that walking into our building. That's a programmatic. Even my teachers don't really know or care about who is funded how. My, my role at the end of that would be to the work, work with the business office and make sure all of the ducks are in a row so that it all matches at the end of the year, right? And we do monthly reviews on that as well. But yes, our WIOA funding is really primarily for those 17 to 20-year-old youth that are out of school that may have, you know, what we're seeing a lot is that there's homeschooled students coming to us now. There's students that have dropped out. For a variety of reasons, we're seeing a lot of mental health issues that are coming up you know, in our building now so that we owe them money. We re- we do rely on that. That is a competitive grant cycle. We're in the last year and then 2022 to 2023 will be the first year of our new grant cycle. We, right now, we only get $15,000 a year. We have applied for, I think, about 79,000 next year and for that annually for five years after that. So that will help beef up the programming of how to perver- provide for these 17 to 20-year-old youth because they're coming in with IEPs. They're coming in with you know some high barriers, right? So transportation, housing, childcare, mental health. So beefing up that structure for next year will really help address some of those barriers that our young kids have coming in.
0: Great. Listen, I have a question on, on, I guess, more on the focus on community education, because it sounds like the adult, like you just mentioned, will be going around. And this is great for me also, I should say, in the podcast, because my district, we don't really operate anything like this. But it's good for maybe other districts like mine that don't know about the sense of, you know, pretty much giving back to the you know, community and the adult. And but now with the community education program, like what roles that play within your district, you know?
2: Yeah, well, for example, we have 45K through five kiddos right now in our building down the hall doing an engineering summer camp. So we've contracted with a a program called Engineering for Kids, which is a franchise, but they have a local branch in Buffalo. And we've contracted with that business to provide a summer camp for us. So it's a week long Monday through Friday, eight to four enrichment opportunity where, you know, these kids that are coming in, um, are able to have that. It's not just babysitting, right? So they're doing, um, Minecraft and engineering structures, and they're talking about, they're building mini golf things that are talking about velocity. Oh, wow. And speed. And there's these little kindergartners down at the end, other end of the building that are really just using their brain in such a, a unique.
0: I love that. that. Yeah. Is
2: awesome. Cool. Oh and, and an example of how strong our community and our board feels about community education is that last week our superintendent and two of our board members came to actually see the summer camp in action so that's that's a piece of the puzzle that i think is really valuable is that inviting our our board and our leadership cabinet to come to these classes is it really gets gets them a better idea of what we do and mm-hmm. Because I can talk about it all day, but when you see it in action and there's these, you know, 45 kids that are in this building in three different classrooms, all, you know, in a very spa- spacious, engaged, you know, environment, mm-hmm. they're, they're making friends and they're being, you know, safe and responsible, of course, but also they're not on their technology all day.
0: So, you know, I, I, from my end, I'll say, Liza, you guys are running an amazing program, you know, and I guess for those listening out there, maybe if you go offer some of the successes to what what you guys are doing there. So, you know, the tenements of such a program, maybe others can run. Maybe just speak to just, you know, like the mechanics behind you running such a successful program. So others, like I said, can duplicate the process.
2: Sure. sure. Well, the general fun piece of the puzzle, I think you have to really talk about and think about as a district is how am I connecting with my taxpayers right because these are the ones that are voting on the budget and the capital improvement projects and you know for us our we have people that have been taking these community education programs for 60 years every year wow. right That's and so you know during covid those people they were looking
0: lost. forward to that they're yeah, looking forward. <laughs> like they
2: were they were lost without coming to our building right yeah. and so it's it, whatever age range you're thinking about, whether you're three or 67, how can we better connect with our taxpayers and offer them a service that is high quality, enriching, okay. and well organized, right? So I think those are some of our core like awesome. values here. Thank but-
0: you, Les. I mean, I would say I would want to be in that stuff, but I mean, what you just said. Your passionate energy. I just feel it through this. And I, I really appreciate that, you know, what you shared. For
2: the federal fund side of things, real quick. So this boyfriend and girlfriend that just came to our building last week, who are 18 years old from our district. They have not been in school in four years. They've been moving around the state and the country just on for a myriad of things. They've they have a newborn baby who is about six months old. Mm. Neither of them are working. They don't have housing. They don't have transportation. And so they're coming into this building because they walked by a Kemmer Middle School and they saw. the the sign that we have out front saying students can get their GED. So they walk in the door, and I want you to think about walking in the door of a huge building and and Mm -hmm. not knowing really who you're going to see or or who you're going to talk to and if it's going to be an embarrassing experience or you're going to be talked down to, right? And Mm -hmm. like when they walk into this building and you feel the warm environment of, of our floor up here, they, they can they can automatically breathe a little bit. Right. And they oh. say so then you, you take you go into the enrollment piece of the puzzle. And now we're talking with somebody that has a very soft voice. Right. And I know that sounds silly, but really think about that first encounter. And that's what I always encourage my staff to think about is you're talking to somebody for the first time they K-12 failed them. Right. Wherever they went to school, K-12 did not work. And so now we have this student who's scared, intimidated, embarrassed, but also took a huge step to, to walk into our room and walk into our building. And so seeing those, you know, those two students, that boyfriend and girlfriend, they're going to graduate. We've enrolled them with Catholic Charities, who we have a partnership. I should mention that is the federal fund side too, also does rely on partnerships. So SUNY Erie and Catholic Charities are oh, two good. Years here. Yeah. So right on campus, we have a SUNY Erie mentor that can help students with their career planning wherever they want to go and then help them with the process of getting into college. Case Catholic Charities provides case management and some more intensive counseling for 17 to 26 year olds. So we have those right on site where we can connect and identify those barriers and then connect students with exactly where they need to be. So that's when these two, when this boyfriend and girlfriend graduate and our graduation ceremony will probably be like late August, early September, they'll have their baby with them. Right. And they'll, they'll recognize the beauty of that, that journey that they just went on and and how that high school equivalency diploma really opens the doors.
1: Of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, just, just that story you told there. I mean, I think it's case in point. That's just one isolated case. I can't imagine, you know, what else you guys see on a daily basis and, you know, that support I feel is important. And our final question for you is, you know, If you're speaking to an audience of school business officials who may not be entirely familiar with the community and or adult education, um, what do you see as the school business officials role in supporting your program and, and what would you ask of a school business official?
2: Sure. Well, I think again, we'll do it in two silos. So for the community education piece, I would say just the support of of asking questions and helping with that budgeting process to make sure that our contractual agreements are appropriate, right? So that there's no that it leads to a good financial outcome at the end of the
0: protects you, yeah.
2: You're yeah, right. absolutely. And I, I would also say our expenses here on this community ed side, the general fund side are, aren't are really a lot, but I do rely on our business office to make sure that we're trending in the right direction. Right. Mm-hmm. And I will also rely on them if, if we're seeing that our enrollments are lower um, than anticipated. How do we adjust from there, right? So I would just say for the community ed side of things, it's really a quarterly review of revenues and expenses and making sure, you know, on the right path. And if something unanticipated comes up, then you know, having that support as well with you know, the moving forward part of it because that's well, finance like finances are not my background. So we do rely on. The experts in that field to -hmm. help us with that. It gets more tricky and I'm more needy to my business office on the financial (laughs) side or the federal fund side (laughs) of things because it's so much more blended, right? Uh So we have WIOA, we have Epi, but then there's a couple other, you know, funding streams that we didn't talk about that are grant-based. So we have a, a program here that talks and that helps people that are receiving SNAP or food stamps. So Making sure that payroll is split between appropriate funding streams, right? The yeah, codes, yep. Yeah. Okay, so you're ma-
1: you're matching the appropriate expense with the appropriate revenue.
2: Absolutely. Stream. Absolutely. So um also helping even with the the anticipated revenues versus the actual. So our business office sends me monthly statements of what our actual revenues are versus anticipated. And then we can go and adjust um, budget yeah. codes from there saying, you know, is somebody working 50% SNAP and 50% EPI, right? I try to not leave any EPI on the table because that state aid is something that I feel is like the primary focus of the programs. I think just the fiscal responsibility for somebody and knowing who you're working with as well in that relationship, because our business office trusts that I'm making the right decisions for the departments, which is huge. But I also trust that the business office is is having that oversight on my end too, because I want to make sure that all of our projected revenues are up to date. I want to make sure that that payroll codes are appropriate. Mm -hmm. And as things ebb and flow, that you know, if I'm seeing that our EPI is down, now we have to shift some of those revenues around and make sure mm-hmm. that all of our costs are covered. So I think it's really the mutual communication and respect and trust that between a school business official and a, a department that is like mine that is really pivotal that could make or break. Yeah. The
0: sounds like awesome. yeah, you want to maintain that accuracy and efficiency. Liza, thank
1: you so much for for being on the podcast. We really appreciate your time. And for those listening, you know, feel free to reach out to her. I'll put her email in the show notes. And you know, if there's any questions related to community or adult education, she's a great resource. And obviously, as you've heard, running an extremely successful program. So Liza, thank you. Thank you guys so much
2: for giving me this time. Thank you.
1: And that was our interview with Liza Akinfora, Director of Adult and Community Education at Kenmore-Tonawanda Union Free School District. We had a great conversation with her. She gave us so much vital information to really kind of digest and give us some perspectives from her seat in the best way that a business official can support adult and community education programming. And again, what what an important piece it is to a school district's community.
0: Yeah, she did such a great job, and I mean. I learned so much and sometimes these podcasts, I mean, it's just more like conversation, but just the questions, it's so organic and the conversation we had, it's so helpful for me. So appreciate having her on, it's great. And so with that, just wanted to, you know, Let you know we have a great format this quarter. We got all of our episodes mapped out through the end of September. But we got many things coming up ahead from GASM84 to audits to other key interviews. And so we're looking forward. So everybody out there, stay tuned, subscribe, and look out for our next episode. And this is Jack Mitchell.
1: And John Bercato.
0: Signing off, SPL Perspectives. See you next week.